broken in the 60s, but it may be a little odd. But strange paradox. Most of us are plagued with a subtle aversion to pray. We do not naturally delight in drawing near to God. We pay lip service to the delight and potency of the value of prayer. We assert that it is an indispensable adjunct to mature spiritual life. We know that it is consistently enjoined and exemplified in the scriptures, but in spite of it all, too often we fail to pray. Can anybody relate to that uh, in this room? Because I know that applies exactly to me, and when I read that, I said, gee, that's me. So most of us feel that if we're not anxious to pray or that we don't have an overwhelming desire to pray, there's something wrong with our spiritual life. That's just not true. That's our human nature. So we have to quit beating ourselves up and intentionally understand how we should pray and enjoy its overwhelming benefits. Like many of you, I have a daily task list in front of me. And I feel that if I'm not doing the task, somehow I am not doing. I have to remind myself that I am doing. I'm communicating with a father that loves me, guides me, understands me, loves me, and helps me be successful, and desperately, let me get this right, desperately wants an intimate relationship with me. He loves me and wants to spend time with me. Without a doubt, the best time of the day, the most effective time of the day, is when you're praying. Luke chapter 11 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray... Say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The beginning of this prayer that Jesus gives us is the foundation of our prayer life. He said, start our Father. He could have said, start Oh, wonderful Jesus. He could have said, start, Lord of Lords, wonderful counselor, and any other name in the Bible. But he didn't. He said, start with our Father. He wants us to come to him with the relationship that we already enjoy with him. It's like a uh, child to a father or a mother or to a, someone that's close to you, uh, someone that you, you love. So let's just take that uh, father-child relationship as an example. Is there anything that you don't want your children to come to you with? Or do you want your children to come to you with everything that's on their mind? Well, that's the same as our Father God. You want your children to come to you with all your questions, your needs, your wants, your desires, big or small. Same as God. 
Do you not desire the joy, the fellowship, the happiness of your children or your loved ones? Same as Father God. If a loved one or a child only came to you when they needed to be healed or wanted some specific advice or were in trouble, would that be the relationship that you want? Most of us don't. You want to be involved in all parts of their lives in the same way your father does, and he loves us greater than you love your children. In 1 John, John tells us God is love. He yearns to hear your prayers the same way you yearn to have an intimate relationship with your children, with your grandchildren, with all of your loved ones. That's why Jesus purposely wants us to start our prayers, our Father. Also in Luke, we read, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Again, Jesus could have said anything. My house is a house of worship. My house is a house of preaching. My house could have been anything he wanted it to be, but what does he want his house to be? A house of prayer. That is exactly what he wants the church to be. That's exactly what he wants our church to be. And to have a praying church, a house of prayer, you need to have people that are committed to prayer, being committed to being intimate with Christ. I'm intrigued by another statement that J. Oswald Sanders said. If prayer could have been dispersed, dispensed within any life, surely it would have been that of the sinless Son of Man. If prayer was unnecessary or unreasonable, we would naturally expect it to be omitted from his life. On the contrary, it was the dominant feature of Jesus' life and the current element of his teaching. I find this comment interesting. God incarnate, incarnate needed to pray? I could ask so many questions about this. But here's what I do know. I know Jesus prayed, and he prayed often. I know he commands us and teaches us to pray and says that prayer is the most effective method to accomplish anything in our Christian walk. Amen. So this sermon on prayer is not to teach anyone how to pray, but to demonstrate that a quality prayer life led by the Holy Spirit will make you more effective, more accomplished, and closer to Christ. So let's talk about Jesus' prayer life for just a minute. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, who am I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus started his ministry with prayer. The most important three and a half years of the history of the world started with prayer. He was being baptized by John. Jesus was praying. Anytime we start anything, our day a project, our time with somebody else, a relationship, 
it should start with prayer. Martin Luther had a reputation that he prayed two hours every morning. But he's quoted as saying, I have so much to do today, I'm going to pray for three hours. Now, that's exactly the opposite of how I think. If I have a lot to do today, I'll put in my quick five-minute prayer, and off to work I go so I can accomplish things. But Martin Luther understood that he needed to pray over every event that was going to happen that day to ensure the Holy Spirit and God was there when he was trying to accomplish anything that he was doing that day. So he had to pray more the busier the day. And doesn't it seem like when we pray for something, we're conscious of God being involved, therefore we're more at peace, and I think we're more effective. So I'm going to read uh, three verses here, and then we're going to talk about them for a minute. Back in Luke 5, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus office, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Mark 6, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And Jesus talking in Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you know you get a reward for praying? Pretty neat, huh? And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus had a specific time where he prayed. May not have been the same time every day, but each day he took time out to specifically pray. And that's what each of us need to do, is have a quiet time, a prayer time. May not be the same every day, but you need to have one. Now, it says Jesus dismissed the crowd. Let me ask you something. Uh, do you think everybody in that crowd was healed when he dismissed them and left them and then went to pray? Do you think everybody was comforted? Do you think everybody had peace? Or do you think Jesus left the crowd with some people not yet healed and went to pray? I think that's what he did because his priority was prayer. And when he needed to be re-energized, when he needed to have a refilling of the spirit, he went off to pray. So what keeps us from having that quiet time? Is it time? Is it that desire? Do we not truly have the faith that that is the most effective time for us? I'm going to encourage you today that whatever you're doing with your quiet time, think about that is the most effective time of the day. That is the time that you are most interested. Ask yourself, how do I build that meaningful relationship with God? All right, so uh, back in Luke, one of these days... Jesus went onto the mountainside to pray. He liked the mountainside and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose the 12 of him who he designated apostles. Now, wouldn't you think that Jesus already knew who these apostles were going to be? 
You would think he spent time with them. He liked John. And eh, Judas, eh, not so much. So, but he went to the Lord in prayer the night before. Then he picked his disciples. So if Jesus needs to pray before every decision, we need to pray before every decision. If you notice, Jesus had a constant reliance on prayer in his life, which we need to do. Okay, this is an interesting story in the Bible. Arthur even alluded to it a little bit. It's going to take a couple of screens to read. But it's interesting and it's important. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Looked like he was indignant a couple of times during this story. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you ever feel like that? I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of here and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, which is one of my favorite parts of the story, convulsed and violently came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? What was Jesus' response? You didn't pray. This type can only come out with pray, with prayer. What do we miss because we don't pray? What miracles don't we do because we don't pray? What things could we have that God wants us to have that we don't because we didn't pray? One of the most significant prayers, I think, Jesus said was in the end of Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I had a preacher once uh, give a message on this, and he said something interesting. He said, that he envisioned Jesus saying, uh, uh, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And then a pause, and he heard the response of the Father. And then he said, but not my will, your will be done. I thought that might be pretty appropriate. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And sweat was like bloods of drop falling to the ground. 
When he rose from the prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You understand that everything around Jesus was about prayer. He prayed to God to take the torturous crucifixion away from him. But when God said no, he said, okay, not my will, but your will. When the disciples were falling asleep, what was the answer? Prayer. Get up and pray. That has to be our life. I, I, I need you to think about always being in prayer. And I know that some people have an idea of what the Father is, this uh, God in heaven who's structured and who wants you to come in your prayer time only and pray this way or pray that way. And that is just not the case. God wants you to come to him all the time, every time, all through the day. If you're going to go into a conversation with somebody at the 7-Eleven, pray about it. Lord, let me speak to this person the way you want me to speak to them. That's the relationship, the intimate relationship that God tells us about. In Mark 11, Jesus says, have faith in God. I truly tell you, if anyone says that it's mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes what they will say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, hold on to anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And then in uh, Luke 11, it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, sometimes you don't get the answer that you want. Just like when your 16-year-old son comes up to you and says, Dad, I just got my driver's license at school, and if we could go shopping for Mercedes, that would be a great thing. So if we could do that Saturday morning, 10, 10.30, that would be good. What's your answer to that prayer going to be? It's going to be no. God knows what's good for you. He understands you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he'll answer it based upon what's best for you because God loves you so deeply. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. These are, uh, this is an interesting verse. Uh, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we present. Possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable or to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is being tempted every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us approach God's throne with confidence. He wants you there. He wants you to pray. He wants that relationship with you. Approach him with confidence every time, all the time. And I'm going to run through this one quickly. In Hebrews, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for you. Jesus is interceding for you. And then in the next verse in Romans, it says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised from the life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. So when you're praying, you have God sitting on the throne, Jesus at his right hand, 
And Jesus is on your side saying, yes, we're going to answer prayer. We are going to answer his prayer, okay? The people of God prayed. Another major theme of the Bible is everybody in the Bible that was of God prayed. And I'm going to run through uh, some of them very quickly. But there are over 7 billion people in the world, 7.5 billion at last count. There's a, you can go on a website and they get a counter. I don't know if the hospitals report right into them as the babies are born or not, but they, they do the counting. A third are professed Christians. So that's over 2 billion Christians in the world. Do you know how many pray like you? None. You are an individual. You are you. God made you the way you are. So if you see somebody with a mature prayer life and you say, boy, I wish I could pray like them, don't, because God doesn't want you to. God wants you to pray like you. He has built you and wired you to be an individual. That's how many people pray like you. Zero, and that's the way God wants it. Okay, the beginning of the, uh, the uh, disciples sharing the gospel is they all join together in prayer along with the women. And in uh, Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves, the apostles, to teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. That prayer saved thousands of people over the next couple of weeks. Because uh, of time, we're going to quickly go through some of these. Nehemiah, one of the great leaders in the Old Testament, he was a Jew born in Persia. He found out that Jerusalem was in ruins. What did he do? He mourned, wept, and prayed. God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of the law with those who love him, keep his commandments, be attentive and hear the eyes and hear the prayer of your servant. He went on to uh, go to Jerusalem, became governor, and turned not only re rebuilt the walls and not only turned uh, the walls and built those, but then he turned the hearts of the people in Jerusalem. Paul states, for this reason I kneel between the Father. From then on, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and inner peace. And then I want you to read this other one. Uh, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Does he say all or most? All. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given so that I am fearlessly made known to the mysteries of the gospels for which I am the ambassador in chains. King David prayed. I cried out with my mouth. He pray His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished it in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God listened and heard my prayer. Every great person of God was founded in prayer. The relationship with God was founded in prayer. Jesus told this uh, parable in uh, Luke 18 uh, about a mean judge. Everybody hear that? Mean judge. It says, but the woman kept going to the judge, and the judge just got irritated and said, okay, I'm going to give this woman what I want because she is irritated. And that purpose is for us to understand that persistent prayer is good. And then at the end, he says, 
And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting it off? I tell you that he will see and get justice, and he will get it quickly. Persistent pleading prayer is also something God tells you to do. I'll tell you one of pleading prayer. I'll be able to talk by the end of this message here. Uh, And Jonah, from inside a fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, I'm in distress. I called to the Lord, and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So that's pleading prayer. And I would say that if you were in the belly of a fish for three days, you would probably be praying. And he got out of the mess. When we're in a mess, we need to plead to God. God wants us to do that. God encouraged us to do that. He loves us to do that. In Mark 4.36, so they left the crowd behind and went with Jesus in the boat he was already in. There was also other boats that went them. A very bad wind came up. The waves were coming over the sides of the boot of the boat, and it was almost full of water. Jesus was inside the boat sleeping with his head on the pillow. The followers went to him, woke him, and said, Teacher, don't you care about us? We're going to drown. Jesus stood up and gave a command to the wind and the water, and he stopped. Quiet, be still. Then the wind stopped. The lake became calm. He said, Why are you afraid? Don't you still have faith? That's pleading prayer. You know, this is on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles north and south and about 8 miles wide. And the winds through the mountains, it's set in mountains, and the winds in the mountains come flying through there. Jesus rebuked them for not having faith, but he did not rebuke them for not coming to him because that's what he wanted him to do. All right, a couple of more verses here, and then we are going to end it. Uh, this is the one that I like. Uh, Hebrews 13.5, which I just passed up real quick. Uh, says, be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say in confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can mortals do to me? Always be under that umbrella of prayer. And the last one that I want to talk about today is John 17. As soon as I get this... All right, I'm going to read John 17. Oh, there he goes. My prayer is not for them alone. Now, this is Jesus praying for you. This is Jesus praying for you. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them, us, the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Jesus is praying that you, me, Father God, and Jesus is in complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So before we go to prayer, understand, Jesus has already prayed that you, me, Jesus and the Father are one in his glory. The power, the relationship, the intimacy that God and Jesus has, he says he wants for us so that we can have that relationship. With God, through the Holy Spirit, prayer will make your life more effective, closer to God, more intimate at every stage. Pray for everything, all the time, never stop. Your life will be better. Your life will be closer to Christ. Your life will be one that God wants you to have. So we're going to pray for about one minute here. And if the musicians, Arthur and his team, could come up. Uh, I want us to just sort of sit, take a deep breath. <sighs> deep breath. And I want you to focus on God for the next minute. If you need to repent of not praying, pray that. If you want a closer and more intimate relationship with God, pray that. Anything on your mind that you want to tell God, we're going to take one minute, and I'm going to ask everybody just to do that. And then I'm going to close it in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you want intimacy with us. You want us to care about you as you care about us. And we thank you for that, Lord. You're a great and powerful God. But you want us to come to you as a child would come to a father. We're so appreciative of Work with us today, Lord. Have us yearn to become closer to you. Have us yearn to obey you, to follow you the way you want to be followed, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.